Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. In a moment, I'm going to read for us Psalm 43. So grab a Bible if you have one and be turning to Psalm 43. But it's worth me mentioning that this psalm and the one we looked at last week, Psalm 42, are a pair, a couplet. Uh, If you were with us last week, you'll probably notice some similar or identical words. And so we take it that the context of these two psalms is the same. So I'll be preaching on Psalm 43, but it might be helpful for you to know why I'm making reference to Psalm 42 as I do so. Let me pray for us and then I'll read. Father, we ask that in the next few minutes, you'd open up your word to us and us to your word and may the former transform the latter. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Well, a few years ago, I was introduced uh, to this book, The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. It's a fun and surprisingly interesting guide uh, to getting through some of life's more extreme turns for the worse. Uh, Some of my favourites, how to escape from quicksand, uh, how to wrestle free from an alligator, how to manoeuvre on top of a moving train and get inside, how I wish my life were interesting enough to use that one, how to identify a bomb, how to deliver a baby in a taxi, how to land a plane. Uh, But two that particularly caught my eye, how to survive a drift at sea. And how to survive when lost in the desert. Now, of course, those last two scenarios are relatively easy to avoid. You just don't get on a boat or go for a walk in the desert. Quite easy to avoid those in Sheffield. But it's impossible to avoid those scenarios in a spiritual sense. Feeling adrift and at sea or lost in a desert, spiritually speaking, that's impossible to avoid. At various times in life, all of us will feel like that, even those who work for a church. And I know from conversations recently that some of you are feeling like that right now. And it was certainly a feeling familiar to the author of Psalms 42 and 43, the second of which we're looking at this week. We don't know the exact historical context of those two psalms and what the psalmist was experiencing I mean, there are clues, but nothing very specific. What we do know is this. He's being mocked by unbelievers. He's being oppressed by enemies. He's suffering sorrow and pain. He's experiencing injustice. He feels far from God. 
And we also know he longs for God to be with him, to enjoy him again. And he longs for that time when he will yet praise him, his saviour and his God. And we see through these two psalms how the psalmist processes all he's experiencing. We see a confidence that ebbs and flows just like it does in life. We also see a mixture of prayer and reflection and meditation that leads him to a place of hopeful confidence while still having questions that aren't answered or resolved. This is the experience of every Christian, but it's not the response of every Christian. And that's why we each have something to learn from this psalm. It's not here just to describe one person's experience, but as a song for the congregation to sing. That's what the psalms are. And for that reason, it's given as a model for us of how to respond when feeling far from God, maybe forgotten by him. It's a bit like a spiritual survival guide for when adrift at sea or lost in a desert. And so if you're a Christian, then whatever your experience of the Christian life at the moment, allow this psalm to train you to survive and more than that, to grow through the hard times we will all inevitably face. The first thing I think we learn from this psalm is this. You have permission to feel rubbish. You have permission to feel rubbish. A few weeks ago, I bumped into a friend and said, are you all right? And she said, yeah. And you? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And after a few moments, I said, "Uh, so we're both lying then, are we? And she said, yeah. I think sometimes we imagine that we've got to pretend to have it all together, that somehow our godliness is measured by how positive we're feeling about life. We need to lose that notion. Of course, we don't want to get to the point of wearing our struggles proudly as badges of honour. That's not healthy. But neither do we want to deny the reality of our experiences. Sometimes each of us feels rubbish. If you don't, well, must be nice being you, but most of us do, and that's allowed. We're all different with different dispositions, and that's okay. Some find it harder to be positive. Some are more anxious than others. Some suffer with depression. We're different, and it's okay that we're different. What's more, we each have different experiences of life that we're responding to or living with, and sometimes sadness is the most godly response to a situation. For all those reasons, we have permission to feel rubbish. We don't have to pretend. And this psalmist doesn't. Look at the second half of verse two. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? And verse five, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Last week in Psalm 42, he wrote, My tears have been my food day and night. Your waves and breakers have swept over me. My bones suffer mortal agony and my foes taunt me. He feels rubbish and he's confused by it. Verse 2 begins, You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? He's saying, You're meant to be my stronghold, a place of safety, protection, comfort. But it feels more like I'm on the outside, banging on the door, vulnerable, exposed, forgotten. It seems that God isn't doing what he's supposed to. 
Some of you right now are feeling rubbish. And some of you have been good enough to say so, either to me or others. Few of us will be facing the same circumstances as this psalmist. But I guess many of us will be facing circumstances that leave us feeling similar to him. Some of you are recently bereaved. Something that's always very hard, but even harder in lockdown when you can't receive the support you normally would. Some of you are experiencing pain in relationships, either at home or with wider family or with friends. Others are being treated quite unfairly by bosses, being expected to do all the work of your furloughed colleagues and to be available at all hours. Some of you are really lonely, wondering if people even remember you're there. Some of you are frankly fed up with online services. Well done for making it this far if that's you. And you feel spiritually malnourished because of months without in-person services. Maybe for you, several hard things have all come together at once and it feels like life is being especially unkind. These things make us feel rubbish and perhaps confused about what God's playing at. And a psalm, a song like this, gives us permission to feel rubbish. But don't stop there. What do we do with those feelings? Where do they lead us? And in considering this, I've felt personally very challenged because much of the time, I don't think I respond to those feelings in a way that is any different from my non-Christian neighbour. You see, I think our culture gives us four ways to respond to feeling rubbish. One is to distract ourselves, distract. It's been a long day, I'm stressed out. I just want to watch another episode, have a large glass of something and and hit the hay. People say, what you need is a holiday. You need to get away and forget about it. That's distract. The second strategy is downplay. It's not that big a deal. I'm overreacting. Time's a healer. There are plenty more fish in the sea. We downplay our sadness. Thirdly, despair. This is the opposite of distract. Instead of forgetting about your sorrows, you think of nothing else. You mentally wallow in your sadness, despair. And fourthly, rage. I know it doesn't begin with D. Don't get hung up on that. Rage. You rage, rage over your circumstances. You think of yourself as a victim. It may be that you really are a victim. But that becomes central to how you identify yourself and you become bitter against whoever you blame for your situation. It's like despair, but with anger thrown in. You rage. And perhaps you can see something of those responses in how you've dealt with sadness in the past or even in the present. They're the four common responses our culture encourages us to have. But they're not the Christian way. And they're not the way encouraged in this psalm. You have permission to feel rubbish. But secondly, let your sadness drive you to God. Let your sadness drive you to God. When one of my children has any kind of complaint about life, mummy and daddy are their first port of call, whether it's large or small, or even very small. Recently, it was the 2 a.m. wake-up call to be asked whether I could put just a little bit more water in his already half-full cup. (laughs) Nothing is too small to go to daddy over. 
And even if it's sometimes annoying for earthly fathers, it's not for our heavenly father. He doesn't get bored of our prayers or fed up with our requests for help. He has limitless resources and perfect love for his children. And this psalm invites us to bring our sadness to him. Perhaps we feel we can only bring our sadness to God if we have a really clear reason for feeling sad when something's really awful. But sometimes we feel rubbish for mundane reasons or for no obvious reason at all. And we see people with very good reason to feel rubbish who are so positive and upbeat and that can make us feel rubbish about feeling rubbish and so we don't go to God. Let your sadness drive you to God, whatever its cause, or even if you can't put your finger on a cause. Part of the experience of this psalmist is that he feels without direction. Look at the second half of verse two. Why must I go about mourning? That language of going about points to him wandering around without direction. He's lost. And he appeals to God in verse three, to send help. Send me your light and your faithful care. He asked for that to give him direction. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain. Verse four, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. Do you see the language of movement and direction? Where will your sadness take you? Distract, downplay, despair, rage. Let your sadness drive you to God. Pray to God. Process your feelings with him. And very practically, let me encourage you to use words. My best times of prayer are when I pray aloud because by using words, I'm forced to consider and process what I'm trying to say. Sing a Christian song that reflects what it is you want to say to God. And indeed, write a prayer like this psalmist did. I don't often do that, but in preparing to preach this psalm, I found it really helpful. It slows you right down and allows you to think even more clearly on what you're saying to God. And then you can read it back then or in the coming days. If it feels a little silly, I dare you to try it anyway. If you're worried about someone else finding it, shred it afterwards. But use words, one way or another, to process how you're feeling. If you don't know where to start, why not try adapting this or another psalm to make it personal to what you're facing? Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against this illness. Rescue me from this cancer. You are God, my stronghold. Why haven't you healed me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by this disease? Or how about this? Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause as I respond to that bully at work. Rescue me from his slander and gossip. You are God, my stronghold. Why haven't you got my back? Why do I have to put up with this guy? Or how about this? Help me, my God, and lift me up from this slump of despair. Rescue me from feeling like this day after day. You are God, my stronghold. Why don't you intervene? Why must I wander around the house feeling rubbish? Whatever it is, words will help you process your experience before God. So use words, whether your own or those of a psalm or another song. You have permission to feel rubbish. Let your sadness drive you to God. And finally, 
choose to trust and hope in him. In the midst of unanswered questions, this psalmist reminds himself of what he does know. He calls God his stronghold, the one who provides light in darkness and faithful care, the one who leads him to himself, his joy and delight, his saviour, and twice he makes the point to call him my God. Sometimes we allow our thoughts to be so dominated by what we don't know that we lose sight of what we do know. If I can put it this way, sometimes we allow the din of our sorrows to drown out the tune of the gospel. But here we see the psalmist teaching us not to do that. We see into his inner thoughts, into his struggle between fear and faith, between what he experiences, why have you rejected me, and what he believes to be true, my saviour and my God. And in that struggle, he makes a choice to trust and hope in God. But some might think this is a willful self-deception, believing something that's contrary to our experience. Isn't that exactly what people mean when they talk about blind faith? Maybe sometimes we fear that ourselves, that that's what we're doing by continuing to trust in God in hard times. But that's never what the Bible suggests about faith, and it's not what's encouraged here. Instead, the psalmist invites us to remember that there is a reality beyond our current experience of life. That doesn't mean faith is blind. It means it's based on more than that which I immediately see. The author and theologian Alistair McGrath uh, writes this. Faith is the resolve to live our lives on the assumption that certain things are true and trustworthy. It is a resolve, a decision to trust. And in that sense, every person lives their life on the basis of faith. It's just that we put our faith in different things. Some put their faith in God. Others put their faith in the idea that there isn't a God. We put our faith here in a man from Galilee, who we believe to be God, God among us. And we put our faith in his word, the Bible, to teach us. People often speak as though you put your faith in something because you lack evidence for it. No, no. You put your faith in something because you do have evidence for it. I have faith that my wife loves me, not because I can prove it. I can't. But because there's a lot of evidence that makes that a reasonable thing for me to believe. And so I trust it's true and I live as though it is. As a Christian, there is much I don't know. Many questions that remain unanswered, some that will remain so all my life. But there is much I do know, and which gives me grounds to trust and hope in God. Verse 3 says, send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Well, I know that there was a man from Galilee some 2,000 years ago, who claimed to have been sent from God and to be the light of the world and the way, the truth, and the life, the only way into the presence of the Father, who said he came to bring me there. And I have heard in the Bible the testimony of those who knew him and watched his life and his death and his resurrection. 
and I have found no better explanation of these documents than that they're true. And I've known times when he seemed as real to me as the nose on my face. And so I won't let the things I don't know make me lose sight of the things I do. I won't let the din of my sorrows drown out the sound of the gospel. I will choose to put my trust and faith and hope in God. Verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. You have permission to feel rubbish. Let your sadness drive you to God. Choose to put your trust and hope in him. And in all this, here's a final thought to encourage you. The struggle of the psalmist we've seen this week and last week, these are the experiences of every Christian. And they were the experiences of the one every Christian follows. Because Jesus was mocked by unbelievers, oppressed by enemies, suffered sorrow, pain and injustice, and he fell far from his father as he hung on the cross. But he put his faith in God the Father. And where did his story end? Not in death but in resurrection to life and in ascension to glory. And so he is the example of my hope. But more than that, he's the object of my hope because as well as himself being God, he is now in heaven at the Father's side, the place where you dwell, verse four. And so the place we, along with the psalmist, long to be is with Jesus, my joy and my delight. But we're not to think, you know, great. He's the example of my hope. He's the object of my hope. Brilliant. I think I can do this now. No, he's also the cause of my hope because it is he who will get me there. Verse three, send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to the place where you dwell. He's the example of my hope. He's the object of my hope and the cause of my hope as well. Friend, in whatever you face now and in the future, remember that Jesus is the one who's walked this road before you. He's the one who stands smiling at its conclusion. And he's the one who carries you along the way. We're left with questions not answered, not resolved, but entrusted to the one we know is good and who has promised to bring his people home. Let's pray. Father, help us with each other and with you to be real about our experience of life and about times that are hard. I pray for anyone today who's struggling with sadness or feeling far from you, that you would draw close to them right now. And help any of us that's true of to move towards you today, to bring these things to you in prayer, in complaint, in song, maybe even in the words of this psalm. And please keep our eyes on Jesus, who has gone before us, who awaits us, and who is with us on the way. In his precious name we pray. Amen.